make your own judgment, but then stick to it. Like, don't worry that you're going to piss some people off. That's unfortunately the nature of doing a job reasonably well, hopefully. Hi, before we get to this week's podcast, I'd like to tell you that Automated Creative are releasing a book called How to Make It in Marketing, Volume 1. It is a collection of the best marketing career advice we've had from over 200 episodes of the Shiny New Object podcast. You'll hear from some of the biggest, brightest and best names in the industry showing you telling you how to grow your career you can reserve yourself a copy at this url so get your pens out it's bitly so bit.ly forward slash make it in marketing so that's bitly bit.ly forward slash make it in marketing but the make it in marketing bit is in capital letters so bitly forward slash lowercase and the rest is make it in marketing uppercase i think you should get your heads around that and enjoy it's a great read hello and welcome to the shiny new object podcast my name is tom ollerton i'm the founder of automated creative and this is a weekly podcast about the future of the marketing and advertising industries i get to speak to someone usually fairly senior, fairly interesting. And this week is no different. I'm on a call with Simon Peel, who is the VP Global Media at Halion. So a wonderful guest to have on the show. Simon, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you give us a bit of background? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, firstly, thanks for inviting me on, Tom. I appreciate it. Very nice to chat. Um, I am, like you said, the VP of Global Media. It sounds fancy but basically means I oversee a team that oversees a media budget uh, where we, you know, spend some money on advertising placements. Um, yeah, so that's what I do. And before that, what was the journey to get to? Oh, yeah, sorry. So before that, I was the uh, global head of media at Adidas for about seven years. Um, I was based in Germany, which is where the headquarters are, um, and then Amsterdam. And then prior to that, I was the European or EMEA head of media at 20th Century Fox. So that was before they got bought out by Disney, um, working on theatrical releases, which again is a fancy way of saying cinema. Um, and then before that, I was at agencies. So I was at a wonderful agency of PhD, Mediacom, and Mindshare. So I started my career in media agencies. So you've done. You ticked all the boxes, pretty much all the all the big media boxes. That that I had no idea you did all that stuff. So that's fantastic. So I've got very high expectations of this conversation, Simon. <laughs> so first up, what is the marketing book that you refer to most often? Um, yeah, good question. So um, there's actually there's a couple, and I know I'm I'm probably not allowed to say that, but um, the obvious ones that I guess everyone refers to, like How Brands Grow by Byron Sharp, uh, The Long and Short of It by Binet and Field. And that, like, there's a number of others. By the way, I love Binet and Field. And my favourite one is actually Media and Focus for, I guess, if you're the head of media for obvious reasons. But the one that I um, I tell people about the most is one which isn't necessarily about marketing, but it's about strategy. It's called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. And it's by a guy called Richard Ramelt, whose name I hope I'm pronouncing correctly. And it's basically about, you know, the errors that people make when they think they're 
coming up with a, a strategy and some of the stuff in it is great because it's kind of like saying you know fluff and shiny new things isn't really a strategy you need to kind of diagnose a problem understand what's what the issue is basically a bit be a bit british about things you know quite pessimistic and and down on it and then find a solution and then go and implement that solution so it's, it it really like simplifies what a strategy is but it also highlights <coughs> excuse me what a strategy isn't so um i tend to recommend that book to people that are kind of interested in you know how do you change things if you're looking to change things yeah i Ironically, a few marketing books I've ever read. I have read this book, but I can't remember anything from it. I'm just, I'm just, just googling it now. So I'm just trying to remind me what are the kind of core tenets of it. And diagnosis is the first bit, and then there's guiding policy, and then coherent action, as I understand it. Yeah, yeah, basically. So this it is three things, right? So it's diagnose, um, come up with a direction. So diagnose, direction, and then implement. If you, you know, if you're looking to really simplify it. And the emphasis is on the diagnosis, like what what is going wrong? What is the problem? You know, what is shit that you want to change? And again, being British and being pessimistic or, or you know, positive in outlook, negative in thought, um, it's like the perfect approach because you're like, oh, here's the problem. Now I need to figure out what I need to do to change it. You You get rid of all of the... The, the things that aren't necessary, like all the the crap that kind of infiltrates your direction and then you focus on this one thing and then you go out and implement it. And then, you know, it'll work for like two or three years, hopefully, if you're lucky. And then you're going to have to change it again because a new set of problems have occurred from going in this certain direction. And therefore, you need to adapt, like diagnose the problem again, adapt, come up with a new direction and off you go again. So um. Yeah, that's the general synopsis, I hope. I've got that right. Otherwise, I look like a right Muppet. So that's the book you recommend. But I always ask guests, do you have a marketing tip that you share most often? So whether that's a junior member of your team or uh, someone on your team who's not going in the right direction, you pull out this quote to uh, inspire or fix things. I don't think it's a quote. Um, one one thing that um, recently I've been telling people, and and I've been trying to heed my own advice is, you know, just don't don't listen to everyone or or listen, but you don't need to um, adhere to everyone's ideas and opinions because if you do, you just don't you don't do anything. You're you're so hampered by a shackle that you know got all of these sort of conflicting ideas from different people that are holding you back so it's good to listen to people and then you know make your own judgment but then stick to it like don't worry that you're going to piss some people off that's unfortunately the nature of doing a job reasonably well hopefully um so yeah that that would be the main thing is and also like try and keep things really simple i think one of the best things actually in advertising um which kind of recurs when you you know read some stuff around it is that there is this kind of tendency to overcomplicate things i I think there's actually something called the the complexity bias which is like human nature has this sort of 
need to complicate things to make us seem more intelligent than we are. And actually, certainly in advertising, the idea is to make something that is quite complex. You've got a problem or a business problem, and you need to make it as simple as possible so that people understand why they should buy a product. And I think that's always a good one. It's like, don't talk in corporate jargon. Just try and simplify things and, and behave like a human being rather than you know, some mumbo jumbo from corporate communications or whatever it might be. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And having worked at agencies for many years, it's just those decks that seem to have like a small novel on every page, and 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 the uh, you know what we always try and do at Automated Creative is just just take stuff out. Just rem- if you can remove a word and it still makes sense, remove it and pull everything back to the core. And that, and that's yeah, simple comes from uh, drilling down from complicated. I think. But sometimes people that people don't keep going; they just go to complicated and stay there. Well, and and that's it. I mean, particularly in corporate environments, like there's also this sort of desperate need to talk in acronyms, and like it's it's really interesting because it's so exclusive. You know, if you if you don't understand the acronym, then like you have to ask, and then you're going to feel like a, a clown in front of your peers. So it's almost like. If you know the acronym, you're really clever. And if you don't, it, it hampers your ability to be on par with people. So I think all of that sort of jargon and stuff, you just talk like a, a normal person, you know, how you would talk to your family. I think you, you're going to succeed in, in terms of influencing people a lot more. Um, and I definitely think that's true in advertising, you know, like trying to have a really complicated message about why your product's so great. It's like, people don't give a shit you know they're so busy and they've got so many adverts hitting them every day and brands trying to engage with them um you know like they just don't people don't care like i'm much more interested in my son playing a video game and whether i can play with him than if someone's trying to sell me something that it's got this unique selling proposition you know like if you just keep it simple i think i'm people are more likely to pay attention do you know what my favourite advertising acronym is? Is uh, TLA. What? Uh, what's that? A three-letter acronym. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm going to start using that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, James Mitchell, for that one. This episode of the Shiny New Object Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Manfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. We're going to move to talking about your shiny new object, which is an interesting one. Your shiny new object is traditional media thinking, which from the outset doesn't sound like a shiny new thing at all, but I think that's your point. So can you help me understand why traditional media thinking is your shiny new object and why you think it represents the future of what this industry should be doing? Yeah, I've um I've kind of thought this for a while. Um so I'm I'm one of those um muppets that have got you know really deeply involved in certain areas like digital and and um 
when I was at Adidas, uh, we we looked at like programmatic advertising as a uh, as a competitive advantage. This is like in 2014, so it was a while ago. Um, and you know, we knew that it was opaque and there was all this arbitrage and dog shit going on in the industry. So we we were like, well, let's turn that weakness into a strength and let's go out and be really good at it. So myself and a couple of colleagues, you know, we we went after that, but we we were also going after it as a representation of like how to do planning and media planning properly you know like if, as long as things are transparent then and you're not over emphasizing a particular area then it allows the planners and the media agency and the creative agency to come up with the best idea and then implement the best idea rather than necessarily stick something in a certain area and the, the reason we went into programmatic was just to ensure that it was transparent and you know, it wasn't overemphasized. So we were trying to like make it transparent. It sounds ridiculous, but emphasize our approach on it so that we wouldn't overemphasize on it. I know that sounds daft, but hopefully you get the drift. And I think as you go through that, you know, and all these other sort of shiny new objects, I uh, just thought I'd, I'd mention that, but like um, you realize that actually a lot of the traditional thinking a lot of the ways that stuff has been done historically has always been the right way. It's just we get so confused and attracted to this, you know, this thing that's brand new. I think it's like chat GPT or whatever it's called at the moment or, you know, open AI. But everyone's talking about it's going to change, revolutionise my world. Maybe it will, but it's still, you need to base it on on thinking that derives from like 150 30 years ago 10 years ago you know and like have the the elements that are really important in place first before you stick these sort of fancy new objects on top of it and and that's kind of what i mean with with being traditional i kind of think like the thinking like the strategy and the planning is the same you know basically when it comes to advertising you're just trying to sell someone something or make them feel or think better about your brand or your product and that that doesn't really change you know people don't like advertising that, that has progressively increased i think and i think that's because we get so bogged down with all of these sort of shot like again sort of shiny new objects but you know like just bombarding people with with ads that are shit when we need to go back and just simplify the message, make it brilliant, make the brands famous, and all of the other stuff will fall in place. And it, and it's good to use some of the other stuff, all, all of the new technologies and opportunities, but they should complement the strategy. And that, and that's kind of my point with this. Um, I also do think, sorry, I'm like, you know, going down a rabbit hole now, but I also do think with, traditional media so analog media god forbid you say analog is there's a real opportunity you know like I, and i shouldn't say this because if there is anyone listening that might be a competitor hopefully there won't be but if there is then you're gonna make there's a competitive advantage in using analog media because the reach is still relatively good you know Obviously, it's on the decline, but the costs are down massively. So your cost per reach is going to be much better on that than on YouTube, as an example, or on the latest streaming channel. So there's not only 
should you be using it because it it complements the creative strategy that you've got you know this sort of traditional media approach but there's also a competitive advantage to it so it for me it feels like you know it feels like a huge opportunity that people are neglecting so that that's my shiny new object is fuck it i'm going to say analog media let's do that so my issue with this is that I agree and that if you have a, a great placement somewhere, loads of people are going to see it and this bit of the medium being the message to a degree. My issue with it is that if you're going for a solo message or solo visual, fundamentally, most brands are going to guess what that should be, right? So you, like out of home, right? You, I think we talked about this called a big, you know, 24 sheet, whatever you call them in Shoreditch. Someone's going to scratch their chin and go, this is the right image. This is the right bit of copy. They don't know that. It's a guess. Whereas in a digital optimized world where we operate, not wanting to talk about AC too much, is you you come up with a hypothesis about the audience. Oh, maybe it's this message. Maybe it's that message. Maybe it's this visual theme. Maybe it's this like territory. And you test all of those things. And based on the, the data that you get back, you can be confident about what you should do next. And what we do is feed that data into things like digital out of home TV and all that kind of stuff. So my anxiety about going that shiny new object is it's still fundamentally based on creative guesswork. Yeah, well, yeah, I get, I get that, and it's a fair argument. I, so, what I would say, and it's an easy argument. So, <laughs> I hope you forgive me, Tom, for taking the easy route out of this. Is you should do both, right? You should do that big forty-eight or ninety-six sheet in Shoreditch, and you should do creative testing and digital, and and making sure that it's adapted to the right audience at the right time, like you need to do both and it needs to be based on a communication strategy or a creative strategy that is um you know has got a direction and a point that helps get the message across so i again i, I know it's an easy answer i i just don't think they're opposing i think you need to do both and, and the reason why i'm saying like traditional media thinking and that maybe that was a bit bit contentious or a bit dickish of me to say analog media but what what I really mean is, you know, we neglect things that have come before us and we dismiss them because they're perceived to be traditional and we need to be new. And it's like with everything, I, I think, you know, with science, with art, with literature, with even with silly things like media planning, although I, I don't mean that rudely to anyone that does media planning. It, it is about learning from people that have come before you and then applying new knowledge as well. So I, I genuinely think it's about doing both and doing both really well. And, you know, I, I, it's contentious and it's and it's potentially a bit rude of me to say, you know, all this digital faff is not nonsense because I, I don't mean that either. I'm just being a, a dick. But what I mean is let's do both really well but let's focus on getting the strategy and the communications piece right first so that you can create this fame for the brand and that so people do pay attention or when they are in the mindset to buy a product that happens to be in your category, that your brand comes first to mind and hopefully you've got a higher propensity that the, the audience or the people will go out and buy it. So that's what I really meant. Uh, 
a really good example of sort of traditional thinking applied really well is the, I don't know if he's listened to this, but Gareth Turner, who's, who's our old client at Weetabix, he did a post last year about the Muller Corner 24 sheets. And basically all, all it was was just the entire the entire uh, placement was just a, a Muller yogurt corner. So you could, all of it was just white yogurt. Then in the corner, they had the chocolate or the raspberry or whatever. And that was it. And he was going, it's just a fantastic bit of work because it, you know, it lands the, lands the point of difference. It, it, it looks incredible. There's no copy on it. You get it straight away. It's kind of jarring. You do exactly the same thing on, on a, on a social platform. It's just not going to work. He's going, oh, there's a yogurt. Do you know, it might, it might, you know. I think it, it depends on whether the brand is well known and remembered for, for that. You know, like, um, I, I remember, I think um, I was at Mediacom at the time and Muller, I worked on Muller. Um, it was just after they'd finished doing those campaigns. So they were just moving away from out of home because they'd, they'd spent, I think, like three years just bombarding the whole of the UK with like these brilliant out of home posters. And then they were, they got new, like new marketing team in and they, you know, wanted to change things, et cetera. I think it was brilliant. You know, like it was, it was based on, the observation that out of home people only take a couple of seconds to look at it and you've got to get the message across really quickly. And it was like a perfect representation of what the brand had been talking about for the last couple of years with their, with their TV ads, which was like, you know, with the Nina Simone soundtrack. And, and I, I think it's like a, and I, I do think it could work in social if the brand still retains that high top of mind awareness, you know, and people understand that the product is about this, you know lovely yogurt on one side and then this luxurious corner that you can put into it i think it could work so my theory for why the shiny new object syndrome gets the industry caught up is the fact that it's got the industry needs to keep on selling itself to itself so you know you talk about how brands grow and and bennett and field and like that's pretty solid science, right? That's marketing science. Oh, here's the quote I heard the other day. Like all advertising is is to make you feel a preference to a certain brand at the point of purchase. Like that's the that's the output of marketing and advertising. So that at, when you decide to make a purchase that you feel more favorable about Adidas over Nike or Muller over uh, own brand or whatever. So like that science is so convincing. But the industry needs to keep on selling itself. And the only thing that it can do that's interesting is shiny new things, right? So you can't have the front cover of campaign be, oh, just do what worked 70 years ago. It's, it won't sell any copies or get clicks, right? Where if it's like the metaverse is going to change everything, everyone's going to pile into that article because we're attracted by the new. And then you've got entrepreneurs such as myself, you know, trying to make a book with a new thing, right? And I need to convince the industry that my thing's brilliant and exciting and works, which it does. But I need to kind of say, look, this is more important than the thing that worked 70 years ago. But in reality, the old stuff, and the, as you said, it, the stuff, the psychology that drives brand preference and purchase isn't going to change. But as an industry, we have to create shiny new objects in order to, to drive the clicks that those individuals, titles or suppliers need in order to grow their own businesses. Yeah, I th- I think that there's definitely something in that. Um, there's this um there's this thing that I I think is forgotten, right? Which um a few years ago, I guess this must have been about 2019, maybe 2018. Binet and Fields did a presentation at the IPA where they're just um they're just publishing their book Effectiveness in Context, which was the fourth one I think they did together. 
And I, I couldn't go because I was sick, but a couple of the guys from my team, I, at the time I was at Adidas again, and a couple of the guys from my team went, and um, they told me one of the things that Peter Field said, which I love, and I don't know if it's true because I wasn't there, but basically was when branding is, so they were talking about the long and short of it, and they were saying, you know, because the, there's that sort of, generalized rule which is an aggregated rule of 60 40 obviously differs by category country time of year all of that sort of stuff but one of the things that peter field said was like or it might have been less i don't know when branding is easy do activation and when activation is easy do branding and it, i thought it was really compelling because it's basically to your point, like if everyone did 60-40 or everyone did saliency um, from how brands grow, you know, like always on top of mind awareness, then we'd be in the same boat, right? Like everyone would be doing the same thing. So how do you stand out? How do you do something different? How do you create that fame? Because it, it becomes homogenous. And I think with what Peter or Les, I, I think it was Peter that was talking about it, said is basically you know, the competitive advantage then is to do the opposite of what people do. And then it got me thinking, because that's that's basically something that um, I think, I don't think it was John Hegarty that came up with the, the copy line. I think it was some uh, a lady in his team. But, um, you know, when when others zig, zag, you know, and it's, it's the same thing. It's like when others are all doing this thing, go off and do the other thing that gives you a competitive advantage. And I, I think it's true with what you do, you know, and what your company does. It's you're not necessarily dismissing the traditional thinking of advertising or of marketing. What you're saying is here is competitive advantage to add on to that. If everyone else is going in this direction, come off and do this and it will help your business grow. So, I, again, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. Like you have to kind of sell yourself to the industry and you have to like, make yourself attractive and why you know agencies or advertisers need to buy you but it it comes back to that simple premise of like when others are doing this thing go off and do that because that's that's an opportunity for you i think that is a, a lovely sentence with which to finish the podcast although we could do a seven hour version i think but unfortunately we've got jobs to do simon thank you so much if someone wants to get in touch with you about this or anything else where should they get in touch with you and how would you like them to reach out to you? What makes a good outreach message to you? Um, well, they could write me a letter, seeing as I, I like traditional, or a postcard. But um, no, probably the best thing's LinkedIn. And uh, what makes a good message to you on LinkedIn? Oh, um, well, they want to blow smoke up my bum. That's always nice. But no, any anything, like they just say hello and, um, you know, if they want to chat about something, that's, that's fine. That's brilliant. Excellent. Well, look, thanks so much for your time. No worries, mate. Uh, thank you very much again, Tom. I appreciate it. Hi, just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything, I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me 
tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.